Okay, well, it's, um, it's half past six on the dot, so um, anybody who comes late can squeeze in somewhere. Uh, <clears throat> welcome to um, uh, almost the final meeting of, of arranged by the Society for Algerian <coughs> Studies in this academic year. I should explain, I'm John King, I help to organise the Society, and, um, and this meeting is happening, um, um, organised by the Society for Algerian Studies and held under the extremely kind and generous aegis of the London School of Economics, um, who give us uh, hospitality. Um, on this occasion, we've brought you a speaker from um, Lyon, um, Professor Lahwari Addi, um, who is a long-time doughty commentator on, and, and dare I say, I think, I think by his own admission half an hour ago, critic of the Algerian regime, which he, which he, which he scourges regularly in theoretical terms rather, rather than personal terms. Um, um, professor Addi was at the University of Oran, a professor of sociology, and he's now moved to uh, Sciences Po at Lyon, where he continues to be professor of sociology and continues to, to, to write in French in the public prints. Um, we've, we've called the talk rather fancifully Algeria, a state and its discontents. I take entire responsibility for this rather twee title. Um, he, Professor Addy is going to address all the difficult questions. What's happening? Where is it going to? What are the problems? What, what, what may possibly lie in the future? Um, and uh, we'll have question and answers afterwards. Questions through me, please. And we hope lots of you have, will have burning and interesting things to ask. I'll hand over to you, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, John. I am very glad to be here to talk about Algeria. And uh, when I first I was asked to give uh, a title for my talk, I said, OK, a state and its uh, discontent. And I gave this uh, title before writing my uh, talk. So uh, when I, if, if we think about it, is there any place where there is a state without discontent. So uh, if Algerian people are not happy with their government, uh, I don't think that uh, the British or the French are happy with their uh, own government. So it's, it's, it's just uh, uh, anthropology. It's, uh, it's uh, normal. That, uh, so I, I, I change a little bit the, 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 the title. To, to make it uh, consistent with my uh, talk, and I, 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 I prefer to talk about the, the contradictions of the Algerian political system. When I say contradictions, it's not a critique, because any political system has its own contradiction, and it's, it, it works uh, through its uh, uh, contradictions. And uh, these contradictions uh, are inherited, in, inherited from the past. 
But even though we talk about contradiction of any political system, there is a kind of a coherence, and the, the coherence is drawn from the struggle for power. The, the, the motive, what, what makes any political system uh, works is the struggle uh, for power. Those who are in office, they don't want to leave as long as they have the resources to resist the opponents who are seeking to take over. The, this, this endless struggle takes place in a society made up of antagonistic uh, groups that try to get advantages as much as possible. If we want to study any political system, we need to keep in mind that first we will be dealing to have we will be dealing with we will be dealing with anthropology uh, and also universal tendencies of lust of for power and wealth. So it's not specific to Algeria. Uh, the ruling elite in Algeria uh, like staying in power, but it's not specific to Algeria. It's, 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 uh, I like to, to remind my students of what uh, Thomas Hobbes was writing some centuries ago. Uh, men have a, a lust for power Men have endless lust for power, <coughs> lust that ends only with death. <coughs> so uh, we, we need to keep in mind that there are universal tendencies we find in third world countries and in particular in Algeria. And second, we have to remember to put the political system we are addressing in its historical framework. We can't understand any political system if we don't refer to its past, to the past of the, 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 the country. And third, third, we should take into account the sociology of society that provides the political resources because to fight for power you need political resources and what is political resources what what are political resources it's uh, violence economy religion ideology <coughs> and so on so it's in that perspective that i always always approach the algerian political system born out from a national liberation movement fueled by populism that became the ideological underpinning of the independent state from 1962. So I would like just to add another methodological observation to emphasize that the rulers obey the logic of the system 
that is consistent with their interests. So the change, if any, doesn't come from a goodwill of some rulers. It would come from historical circumstances or upheavals or from the emergence of a social group building its hegemony on economy or ideology. It would be naive to expect that the rulers becoming aware of the predicament or of the social unrest uh, would implement change that at the end will enhance their opponents. As far as Algeria is concerned, I am somehow, for the short, short term, a kind of pessimistic. Because the ruling elite has still enough resources to resist to any change of the political system. Having said that, let's start with, I'm sure, the question you, you have. Why the so-called Arab Spring didn't take place in Algeria? I think there are two reasons. The first one is that Algeria had already its spring after the October 1988 riots that have shaken the regime. There were some 500 people killed in one week and thousands of wounded. In the aftermath of of that bloody week, the ruling elite decided to change the constitution in February 1989, putting an end to the single-party system. Many observers at that time wrote that Algeria is following the former socialist countries of Eastern Europe after the fall of Berlin Wall. Unfortunately, Algeria didn't take this path. The experience of a democratic transition lasted two years and a half, and there were about 60 parties, political parties, that took part to local elections in June 1990 and to the national elections in December 1991. And both of them, the local and the national elections, were won by the FIS, the Islamist party. So the experience was terminated by the army after the victory of the Islamists, the victory over the the National Assembly. The cancellation of the elections led to a bloody decade that caused the death of 150 to 200,000 people and the disappearance of about 10,000 people. So the memory of this period is still deep-rooted and the majority of the population didn't wish 
to go back again to that violence. It's the first reason. The second reason is pertaining to economy, particularly to the increase of the oil price in the international market from 2001 to 2013. We need to keep in mind that the barrel of oil was worth of $25 in 1999, and it increased steadily to the level of $140 in 2008. It decreased, it decreased under 100 only in uh, July, 30, uh, July 2014, and today it's about $60. This, this financial bonanza allowed the government to buy the social peace. I think that these two reasons vindicate the absence of Algeria in the events of the so-called Arab Spring. I would add another factor specific to Algeria in comparison with neighboring countries. Since Houari Boumedien, who died in 1978, Algeria doesn't have an authoritarian leader that personifies the regime as in Egypt with Mubarak or Tunisia with Ben Ali. The Algerian president is under the surveillance of the army and he has to follow the orientations decided by the army in such a way that the military command is the trustee of the sovereignty of the state. It's also the source of power that appoints the president and appoints some of the members of the government. Of course, formally, the president is the chief of the army as stated in the constitution. However, as in many countries of the third world, the constitution is not relevant. And the regime has its own unwritten rules. Unwritten rules. It is convenient for the army to have a president who doesn't fulfill his constitutional prerogatives and doesn't challenge the political authority of the high-ranking officers. Bouteflika's sickness diminished his physical capacity to, 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 to run the state, but it didn't prevent the state power to function. The, the regime needs actually a president only for symbolic tasks. The regime needs a prime minister who is in charge of the administration. But uh, it, ne it needs a president for symbolic tasks and international commitments. So it explains why the army allowed Bouteflika to change the constitution in 2008 because the 1996 constitution didn't allow 
the president in office to run for a third, a third term. And Bouteflika changed the constitution in order to run for the third term in 2009. And the army allowed him even to run for the fourth time last year in 2014. And Bouteflika uh, served the longest time at office since independence, more than Huari Boumedien. It's because he doesn't challenge the political authority of the army. So many Algerians are aware that the president has no power and he is just a civilian facade of the high-ranking officers. So rebelling against the regime is rebelling against the army. And the change would be more difficult uh, when uh, the, the, the army is the backbone of the regime. We are witnessing it in Syria. And there is no Algerian who would like his country to become a new Syria. <coughs> so, uh, the regime rests, the regime rests on an efficient intelligence service, namely the DRS, La Sécurité Militaire, well, how, uh, we, we called it uh, uh, 20 years ago La Sécurité Militaire, and, and anyone was fearing La Sécurité Militaire. It was uh, magic. And the DRS depends on the army. Its, its task is to fashion the political field in the interest of the regime. There is, there is, as I said, a political pluralism. There is a competition between different political parties at the time of elections, of course. There is a private press that criticizes often the economic and social situation or the policy of the government. Targeting, targeting the weak, the weak performances of the government. Of the government, this gives an image of a democratic political life protected by the government against Islamist violence. The reality, however, is more complex because the army screens the actors who take part in the legal political field and only accepts those who obey the double structure of state power, the formal power and the informal power. And the, 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 the DRS took responsibility of fashioning the political offer in such a way power. And the, 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 the DRS took responsibility of fashioning the political offer in such a way 
that the supremacy of the army over the state institution is not questioned. The army intervenes in the political field by the expedient of its political police, the DRS, whose mission is just to supervise all the potential actors of political life. Unions, political parties, associations, grassroots organizations, newspapers, university, and so. It doesn't hesitate to infiltrate protest movements in order to manipulate them or to discredit them. So, DRS has drawn a political field in which there is an appearance of electoral democracy through the parties that it controls directly or indirectly and that take part in elections that serve to hide the distribution of quotas of representatives. Algeria is not anymore an authoritarian single-party system, but it's not it's not yet a democracy or even a rule of law. Moreover, the reforms caused the regime to lose its ideological political coherence. The, the regime lost its coherence. With the one-party system, its authoritarian characteristics had a kind of justification in the name of the mission of modernization of the country under the control of the army. The, the project of the army in the 60s and the 70s was to modernize in an authoritarian way society and to develop the economy. So there was a kind of coherence with a single uh, party uh, system. So after the reforms, the, the official discourse proclaims its attachment to democracy, but it refuses alternation and rigs the elections. So either the regime changed too much or it changed too little. On one hand, it changed too much because it moved away from the logic of the one-party system that had its coherence. On the other hand, it changed too little because the army didn't want to renounce its historical legitimacy. So the political system is confronted with three major contradictions. The first is pertaining to the presence of two legitimacies, historical, and electorate. The second is linked to the inevitable unavoidable competition between the real power and the former power. And finally, the third follows from the weak representativeness of the elected officials owing to the stuffing of ballot boxes. So, the regime overcame these contradictions by buying social peace with the money from the export of oil.
The Algerian regime actually is incompatible with a multi-party system because it doesn't expect the parties to enter into competition in order to exercise power in the name of the electorate. The parties must give to the population the feeling that they are represented in the state institutions and also give the image that the regime is rooted in society whose different political currents fight over the National Assembly where the policy of the government is decided. The reality, of course, is entirely different because the parties are not autonomous organizations conveying particular visions of the general interest. They are rather considered to be apparatuses of the state fulfilling functions of stabilization and of legitimacy of the state administration. Here, uh, here lies the, the, the here lies the incoherence of the regime. On one hand, it promulgates a constitution, a constitution, acknowledging to the parties their vocation to the competition for the access to office in order to contribute, and I am quoting the constitution, I am quoting the an article of the constitution. So the constitution acknowledges to the parties, their vocation to the competition for the access to office in order to contribute effectively in this way to the consolidation of democracy. End quote. And on the other hand, the regime refuses the philosophy of such a system resting on the sovereignty of an electorate body. The refusal is attested by the stuffing of ballot boxes favoring the parties of the state administration and distorting the electoral, uh, the, the electoral majorities. Because the administration has, the state administration has its own political parties, the FLN and the RND. And they have also, the administration has also an Islamist party. It's a fake, but it's a, a party. So, the Algerian experience shows that the elections are not sufficient for establishing democracy. In order to make the, the, the democracy effective, it's necessary, first, that the parties be sufficiently strong to defend the electoral results, and second, that the judiciary system be autonomous so that they can bring forward a complaint in the case of fraud. The unfolding of the elections shows that the regime accepts the multi-party system, but it appropriates for itself the electorate. The administration 
expresses the majority, the majority vote of the desired sense, in the desired sense in a situation in which the opposition parties don't have the capability to protect their potential electorate from a hijacking upstream or downstream. Upstream, in fashioning the electoral offer of such a manner to be integrated into the logic of the regime. Having made of the Islamist parties allies, what we call in French les Islamistes de service, uh, MSP and uh, uh, Alliance pour l'Algérie Verte and so on and so, uh, the They, they offer to these Islamists the service, they offer the ex-fis electorate. So the administration disposes of a very large breathing space in the manipulation of the electoral results. And downstream, in stuffing the ballot boxes in areas where the parties are not implanted. Are not, they don't exist. The, the, the parties, the political parties, I mean the opposition political parties, they don't exist in all Algeria. They exist in big cities, in Kabylie, but not in... Uh, so, in the large urban centers like Algiers, Oran, Constantine, and in Kabylie, it is certainly more difficult for the administration to stuff the ballot boxes. But in the rest of the country, where the parties are quasi inexistent, the administration draws the votes that allow it to balance out the assemblies according to its wishes. <coughs> the, the lesson to draw from this is that in a democracy, the parties are supposed to have resources to defend the part of the electorate that they have won. The electorate is a booty and one must have force to protect it. One must have a sufficient amount of militants in order to supervise the voting ballot boxes that are counted by the thousands of civil servants who are faithful to the state administration. The consequence is that the population doesn't recognize itself in the results of the vote and feels incapable of influencing the social and economic policy of the state or of the government. Thus, a contradictory collective behavior develops. On one hand, apathy and disinterest for the political life hence the weak rates of, uh, of participation in the elections. And on the other hand, there are frequently riots in different regions in which groups of young persons discontent with their situation, unemployment, corruption, power cuts, uh, shortage of water, shortage of leisure, and so on and so So these young people rebel and vandalize public edifices, just like uh, uh, 
for many, many months in uh, the southern areas, the people are expressing their unrest and their disagreement about uh, shale gas uh, policy. And the, 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 the government didn't want to listen to them. And this population, as in any, all, uh, they are not heard because they are not represented in National Assembly, in the National Assembly. So there is no uh, links uh, between the, 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 the state institutions and the, 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 the population. For instance, in April 2001, uh, following the assassination of a young man inside the police station, uh, Kabili was shaken by protests that lasted more than one year and a movement of civil disobedience led by committees called Arsh asked for justice in the name of the family's victim. So, I would say that the government Now, I would say that we are witnessing today in, in uh, the southern part of the country uh, a protest that started more than one year about uh, the, the, the shale gas project of the government in Wergla, in Ain Saleh, Taman Raset. The population is demonstrating pacifically. Uh, and they are feeling, they are feeling, and they are right, <coughs> that uh, this uh, program of exploitation of uh, shale gas will uh, endanger the sources of water. The government doesn't want to listen to them. And two weeks ago, the president Bouteflika made a statement to them, saying that the shale gas is a gift of God and we need to take advantage of it to prepare the future of the next uh, generations. So, the, the Algerian government is deaf. It doesn't listen to the population that is not represented in the state institutions. I would say, however, that the government met the demands about the increase of salaries in the public sector to put an end to endless strikes. And the increase of the state budget, thanks to the, the oil price, allowed the government to subsidize economy giving loans to young people and increasing the wages in the administration. However, the purchasing power in Algeria doesn't depend only on wages. It depends on the exchange rate of the local 
currency. According to its financial needs, the government changes this rate in order to get more dinar. The dinar is the local currency. So it gets more dinar with the same amount of dollars since the oil uh, uh, exportation uh, are paid in, in, in dollars. With the same amount of dollar, by changing the exchange rent, uh, rate, the government has more uh, dinar. But when the state budget is balanced or there is a surplus of money, the government doesn't increase the value of the dinar. Since Algeria imports 90% of the local conception, the purchasing power is linked to the exchange rate. And the currency of the, the, currency of the neighboring Morocco, which has fewer financial resources, <coughs> is exchanged at 12 dirham to $1, while the Algerian dinar is exchanged at 80 to one dollar. It is uh, the, the, the low the low exchange rate of the local currency has unfortunately heavy consequences on the economy because it creates difficulties for a number of small and medium businesses in the private sector, which have been forced to close and lay off workers because of the excessive cost of imported inputs and the competition of foreign products. So the liberalization of foreign trade by lowering customs duties has opened up the domestic market to products imported from South Asia, a clothing, shoes, and many, many uh, uh, commodities. And it has made the national production more vulnerable. Wages generated by the huge public investments are mostly spent in the conception of imported goods, which certainly doesn't promote local accumulation. It's as if wage earners' demands is as it is as if the, the, the wage earner demands were addressed abroad, obstructing the formation of a domestic production. A large part of the state's investments and salary goes outside the country rather than helping to develop the domestic market. This policy has shrunk the basis of productive work and reinforce the trading and rentier character of the economy, distributing wealth through speculation. This can be, this can be seen in the breakdown of, the, of employment in which agriculture and industry account for barely 25% of the total. The foreign debt was reimbursed and it decreased from uh, 
$46 billion in 2007. This financial bonanza has made it possible to implement an economic program injecting something like one, for example, the east-west freeway, railways, urban transportations, and also the distribution of drinking water and social housing. And this program got, and, and as this program got underway, it has been calculated that the growth rate rose from 6.8% each year between 2002 and 2013. But it should be remembered that the activities of sectors like construction, public works, and services don't create wealth. Infrastructures, in general, they are, of course, necessary to all economies, and the lack of them uh, is a, a drawback, but they don't create wealth. Income from all that is used in the program to develop the economy is crimped off by foreign outflows, and in fact, it is mainly of foreign companies better equipped and more efficient than the national enterprises that have been awarded the contracts to carry out these projects. The government has no strategy to reinforce the productive capacity of national enterprises, public or private, to enable them to face the international competition. The oil income that finances the $100 billion program mainly benefits the foreign companies that are carrying out the various infrastructure works. The Algerian experience shows that the transition towards the market needs a political shift aiming at building a legal framework for economic activities in all the competing commercial relationship. The market will be dominated by anarchy if there is no independence of the judiciary and freedom of trade unions. Fair competition destroys profiteering mechanisms and liberates an economic dynamic that can't be opposed by privileges that have been acquired by force. This is why the market is the expression of the autonomy of the trading sphere and also the capacity of civil society. By civil society, I mean political parties, media, trade unions, grassroots organizations, and so on. So. A civil society able to impose formal and institutional relationships of authority that can't easily be deviated to serve private ends. The laws of the market correspond to the, law, to the rule of law, as Jürgen Habermas put it, and he agrees with Karl Polanyi about the relationship between the market and the state. The market is efficient only if there is a rule of law. From the 70s up until now, Algeria has always had a very high level of investment.
about 30% of the GNP. But uh, somehow, Algeria seems unable to generate the expected growth. This is mainly to be explained by the nature of the political regime in which there is a hidden power above the institutions. This situation reinforces predatory practices and widespread corruption. The authoritarian character of the regime is organized around the rentier state of the economy, which in turn reinforces, reinforces it. So even the reports of the World Bank and the International Monetary Funds, which usually are prone to use diplomatic rhetoric, are somehow perplexed by Algeria, which they insist possesses all that is necessary for sustainable growth. They, they, they now they identify <coughs> the institutions as being responsible, drawing attention to the administrative blockage, feeble authority of justice, and spread corruption. These obstacles are due to the political nature of a regime that is incompatible with the laws of the market. In a, in a perceptive article that recognized the intimate relationship between the economy and the nature of the regime, William Byrd, a British scholar, remarked that, I am quoting, the ostensible objective is that of modern and neutral institutions, but the fundamental function of these institutions is to protect the transactions of a caste of economic agents whose power is based on control of the army and the security services. A numerous magistrates act on behalf of the clans when they wish to eliminate or imprison managers that are inconveniencing the businesses of these interest groups, unquote. So from the outset, and it will be my conclusion, independent Algeria was marked by a fundamental contradictions. I was talking about many contradictions in the political system, and I was saying that history in, unfolds through contradictions. There are many contradictions, but I think the biggest contradiction of uh, Algeria, and it is a paradox, it's, uh, and it's, Algeria is still paying the price because of this paradox. The state, the state, which is normally public, has been privatized by a group in the name of the historical legitimacy. While economic activities, which are normally private, were made public. It's the biggest contradiction of Algeria. And if Algeria wants to overcome or, or, or to develop, it has to put an end 
to that contradiction. Suffering from this contradiction, Algeria has been in the process of reforming its economy since the 1980s. The, 19, the, the reform started with Shadli Bejdid, always hesitating to opt decisively for the laws of the market in spite of an official discourse that confirmed the break with the socialist option. This inability to enter in the market is not caused by technical, technical or financial difficulties. The causes are political because the laws of the market assume that there is an autonomous economic power with independent trade unions and an autom autonomous legal system as counterweights. The regime, however, fears this as it has always used the economy as it has, it has used violence. It used economy as a political resource in order to maintain itself in power. Now, the question is, what if in six months, in one year, in two years, the barrel of petrol will be worth 20 or $25? Algeria will be in trouble. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed for um, um, a, um, an alarmingly pessimistic view, if I may, if I may say so. In the short um, run. In, I'm in, not pessimistic in the for the long run. Now, now I, I, I had been thinking of various ways of, of beginning a discussion by asking you to suggest ways in which change might happen. But um, in the light of the fact that you, you, you quote an article by William Byrd, um, who is uh, sitting three rows from the back down there, <laughs> I, 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 I feel I ought to ask, to ask Bill Byrd to begin the discussion by commenting on your pessimism. <laughs> Yeah, so we, we agree on that. Thank you. Front row. Well, thank you very much for eloquently describing how the Algerian political system functioned in Algeria. Uh, I think you mentioned uh, in the last of the minutes of your talk uh, about the contradiction in history. I'm very glad that you mentioned that because I want to ask you a question about that but it's far removed from this subject. Uh, I refer to what Dr. Saeed Saadi has mentioned recently, treating uh, Nasser al-Hajj as a threat to the Algerian cause of independence. So we want to your views. That's my first question. My second question will relate to the contradiction uh, you said about uh, people who are resisting uh, protesting in Ain Salah because they are not represented in the parliament uh, they don't have a voice. 
to put any influence on the government. Whereas, for example, you draw a parallel with what happened in Kabylia in 2001, when uh, uh, the young guy was murdered in the commissary and the police, it led to a revolt of over 18 months. Uh, now, I look at another thing. For example, we see over the last few years group of uh, seriously rich Algerian business people who are actually uh, doing uh, very clever work. What they do, they sponsor political candidates in the Senate, in the National Assembly, and they are trying to put some, organize themselves uh, as a movement that will influence the government. Uh, and now, not only that they, they, are, they were doing it in the local election, they've also been very active in the last presidential election. Uh, and by helping the candidates, they're getting juicy contracts from the government, and they're, in a way, sometimes sponsor uh, official events that even ministers, they're not organized. Uh, do you see that uh, in this movement uh, that the Algerian government or the Algerian political system is adapting itself by drawing this uh, Algerian business people which are not traditional ally of the regime? Yeah, just uh, one or two words about Masali uh, Haj. It will take uh, a long time. I think we can't uh, treat uh, the, 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 the members of the national movement as uh, traitors or uh, patriots and say it's Abi went uh, too far. For him, Salih Haj was a traitor, Bimbilla was a traitor, Ali Kafi, and so on. And I answered in the newspaper, I don't know if you saw it, and there was a kind of a debate between uh, him and me. And I was saying that we should talk about these people in a historical perspective, not in a patriotic perspective, because it is the past. And we can't say Musali Hajj is a traitor. There, was, uh, there were problems in uh, the 50s uh, before the insurrection, before the liberation started. And there was problem in the, 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 the party he was leading. And a part of his uh, militants uh, went to, uh, to, to choose the, the, the violence to liberate the, 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 the country. We can't say uh, he, he, he disagreed. But we can't say he is uh, he's the founder of uh, modern uh, Algerian nationalism. So, about Insalah and uh, Kabili, it's the same uh, scenario. The regime doesn't listen to the population, either in Kabili or in, uh, in Salah or elsewhere. In Kabili, they, uh, they, uh, they didn't, they didn't uh, bring to court uh, the, 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 the police officer who killed these young uh, people in the, in the uh, police station. The, the people in Kabili, they were asking just for justice, for justice. And the, the, the government wasn't able and didn't want to listen to the people and to, to, to serve justice. 
So it lasted uh, almost two years or three years. But there was nothing at the end. Nothing. The population in Algeria is not represented in the <coughs> state institutions. So it's the same in, in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in the Sahara, in, uh, in the south, in the southern part of Algeria. There are people, they don't want shale gas. In France, the, the government wanted to, 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 to export shale gas. There was a protest in France, and the government uh, gave up the project. In Algeria, they don't want to give up. And it's worse in Algeria. In Algeria, it's worse because the, the water is, 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 is scarce. scarce. There, there, is, there is scarcity of water. And the, the, the shale gas technology needs a lot of water. And the water in, 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 uh, in these uh, 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 cities in the south will be contaminated. But still, the regime doesn't want to the regime just he wants to increase the, polit the, 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 the political resource, the, 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 the financial resources to better strengthen itself against Algeria or civil society. Now, the businessmen, businesses, there are businesses, but uh, there is no business in Algeria that could succeed if it is not protected by the security services. Ali Haddad, who is billionaire, and uh, Rabrab, they, they, they have links to the high-ranking officers. You can't have, you can't run a business if you don't have a link with a high-ranking officer in Algeria. Otherwise, because the state administration is so corrupt, so the the, the civil servants they will they will they will suffocate you by by corruption. So if a civil servant comes to your business. And he asked for money, just you call the general or the high-ranking officer, and this civil servant will be, will be from Algiers. He will be uh, muted to Tindu for, uh, you know. <coughs> if you don't have a protection, it's, it's like the Middle Age in England or in France. It just, uh, so this, uh, they are not, they are not, Autonomous. So the, the, the regime allows them to accumulate money and accumulation of money not on the basis of creation of wealth. It, it, they are just taking a part of the rent, of the oil export. So the regime allows them to accumulate a huge amount of money but if they want to subsidize or to give money to opposition, there will be, there will be uh, retaliation. So 
It's possible that in 10 years or in 20 years or in 50 years, there will be an economic power independent from the ruling, the ruling elite. It's possible. But now, it's not the case. Imad Matsur. Imad, can, can you say who you are before you ask your question? I, I was very naughty. I allowed you so, to speak without that. It's uh, Abdelaziz Lausnia. Ah, okay. Imad. Imad Matsur. <laughs> so I'm Imad Matsur. Uh, I'm a political analyst. Um, I appreciated your analysis of the state's uh, structural paradigms and some of the contradictions of modern Algeria. Um, my question is about ways forward, uh, because I'm guessing that's what people are interested in. The ruling, the ruling elite. It's possible. But now, it's not the case. Imad Matsur, Imad, can, can you say who you are before you ask your question? I, I was very naughty. I allowed so, you to speak without that. It's uh, Abdelaziz Lausnia. Ah, okay. Imad. Imad Matsur. So I'm Imad Matsur. Uh, I'm a political analyst. Um, I appreciated your analysis of the state's uh, structural paradigms and some of the contradictions of modern Algeria. Um, my question is about ways forward, uh, because I'm guessing that's what people are interested in. Uh, what do you think, in the absence of a, a strong civil society, uh, it's a fragmented society, I think we can say, uh, in the presence of such corruption throughout all sectors of Algerian society, um, and given the gap, the distrust between uh, different sections of Algerian society, do you think that the drivers of change are going to be internal to the system, outside of the system? Do you think that they're going to be in the short term, or do you think they're going to be present in the long term? So basically my question is, what are the drivers of change? What are they going to be? I think that the outcome will depend on the availability of political resources. And economy is a political resource. If the, the price of the oil decreases for three or four years, because now the Algerian government has something like 200, 200 billion dollars in surplus. 150? 184. <laughs> so someone, someone took 10? <laughs> okay, they took 10. They took 10. Okay. So, uh, they, they, they can, they can uh, manage uh, the, the, to, to buy uh, the social peace for three or four years. With, because the state budget is balanced around 50, 60 uh, dollars a barrel. But if after four years the barrel of, of, of uh, oil is 60 or less, the regime will be in trouble. It's, it's, <coughs> it's a struggle. I, as I said, uh, I put it, we need to link it to the struggle for power. And you can keep, you can still be at office if you have the resources, if you don't lose the resources. Because the, the historical legitimacy has been exhausted long years ago. 
Um, let's have uh, Ada Hamazia. Ada. There are, uh, we, can, we can debate for a long time about uh, shell gas, but I think since there is a majority, a majority of the population of the southern part of Algeria uh, doesn't want the shell gas, I think that the government should respect the, the opinion of the population. That's all. And we need to, to, to wait 10 years or 15 years and see if there will be new technologies. We, we had extra runways here in the UK as well. So I'm not... Uh, anyway. Gentleman at the back there. Yes, you, sir. Hey, uh, given I, I introduce yourself. Oh, sorry. Uh, Rui Watson uh, with the Defence Cultural Specialist Unit. Um, given the, uh, the current form in the Middle East and, uh, and the spread of Wahhabism, um, how do you... I mean, I don't know a great deal about Algeria, but... If there were free and fair elections, let's say, in the coming year or the next year, um, what would be the potential of a, an Islamist victory? And if so, how do you think that would change the perception of Western policymakers and potential foreign investors, and, and could this have an effect? Is it a case of better the devil you know, or, or is, there, is there an issue there? So, the Islamists are different according to the situation and the, the, the countries. In uh, the Middle East, the, 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 the problem has been aggravated by the invasion of Iraq. But let's say there are three trends in the Islamist movement. There is a vast majority of the Islamists that would like to take part to the election and to create an Islamic government or an Islamic state through the elections. It's Morocco, Tunisia, and there is a trend, a very violent, very radical, it's a minority, and the majority of the people don't agree with them. They want to establish uh, an Islamic state with violence. But I would say, and I am not a, a conspirationist, Many of these violent Islamists are manipulated by intelligence service. And there is a third trend 
but it's very, uh, it's, it's, uh, I think it's the future of the Islamists. There is what we call the post-Islamist parties. And the best illustration is the Wasat party in Egypt. It's an Islamism that is seeking to make compatible uh, Islam with human rights and democracy. For instance, uh, the Islamist party Wasat uh, states that it doesn't aim to establish an Islamic state, but a civil state. And they accept non-Muslims among their ranks. I would say, unfortunately, in free elections in, two twelve, uh, in 2012, they got only 3.5% of uh, the electorate. But I think that the, the future of the Islamist parties is the Wasat or the AKP <coughs> of uh, Turkey. Because uh, this, uh, uh, the Islamist movement, I, I studied the Islamist, uh, the Algerian Islamist movement. It's basically a contradictory product of modernity. In one way, they want people to be heard in the state institutions, but in the other, what is, what is modern, but in the other way, or the other hand, the ideology rests on an utopia. And when utopia meets history, utopia fades away, but not history. We'll go for the front row here, first of all. Yeah, identify. Yeah, I'm that fan, I'm a PhD student. I have a question about your famous concept of la révolution. It's, it's exactly what, uh, yes. what I said now. Exactly. Yeah. When history meets yeah. utopia, yeah. history yeah. unfolds, yeah. and the utopia fades away. In the Regression Féconde, la Regression Féconde. 2015 Algeria, do you think the Regression is still there, and is still fécond, and where you put the women's, women's rights in this Regression Féconde? <laughs> do you know that the majority of women in Algeria, when they vote, they vote for Islamist parties? <laughs> we, we, need, we need to, we need to, uh, to face... Uh, the historical reality and the cultural reality of uh, our societies. So what I called the Regression Féconde, it was in 1992. <laughs> I wrote an article about the cancellation of the elections, and I was hoping that uh, the, the military let the Islamists run the government. And of course, with a commitment from the army and from the, the other political parties uh, on some, some conditions. And I, I thought and I still think that the, the Islamist parties, they don't have a future. They don't have a future because they express 
an utopia. By they say we we will we will implement the Quran and everything will be will be will improve. With all the respect we have for the Quran, how could you apply the Quran and the under underemployment rate will decrease? So, uh, if in in with with certain conditions, as in uh, in uh, Tunisia or in Morocco, in Morocco today the government is Islamist, and the Islamists in Morocco they are losing popularity, as they are losing popularity in Turkey, and they would lose, and even in Egypt, in Egypt, the Islamists were losing the popularity. So the army should have let them uh, end the, 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 the term, and to go to, the army should have put as condition the respect of the elections. But let me tell you in Egypt why the army uh, went to the coup. The, the Egyptian army is involved in the economy, Egyptian economy, at the level of 30% of the GNP. So with a civilian government, the army, the high-ranking officers, will lose the many privileges. So they made the, the coup. They didn't make the coup to defend women or... Uh, because in, in these societies, and in particular in Algeria, there are deep aspirations for modernity, for modernization. And nobody can uh, uh, limit or uh, weaken uh, this aspiration to, 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 to modernity. So I think that it was a mistake. And the mistake was made on uh, this uh, implicit uh, settlement. Uh, let us run the state and we will give you the society. So now in Algeria, society belongs to the Islamists. And the money of the state belongs to the army. How to break this uh, situation? Now, we should go to the elections and uh, let people excel themselves and let people learn. Let people learn that the Islamist party, they don't have a, poly a sustain sustainable or a coherent uh, political program. I am sure I didn't convince you because uh, it's, it's a sensitive and uh, it's a deba debatable uh, problem. But it's my, uh, my, 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 my point of view. I've, I've got um, several questions coming up now, so can, can we all be fairly brisk? The gentleman in the second row first. You, um, I'll try to be brief. Um, first Identify point, before you uh, speak. I'm Paul Raymond, I'm a journalist. Um, first point, I'm, I'm interested in the way you've framed a lot of your analysis through economics, and I think that's very enlightening. Um, but you also talked about the disconnect between the state and, and the population, and I'm wondering... In the case of Verdaya and similar conflicts around the country, if 
I think this is clearly the most prominent one. Is the fact that this is still going on um, symptomatic of the state not listening to the population? Um, and my second question is, how much is the security establishment worried about the situation both in Libya and in Mali? So, what is going on in the southern part of Algeria is worrying uh, because there are weapons that could come from Libya and uh, southern Tunisia. And I, 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 I think that the government and the military are very, very worried. It's a huge country and unfortunately if uh, the, 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 the expectations of the population are not met, some uh, political currents would radicalize and there are uh, foreign countries that could get uh, involved to destabilize Algeria. So, uh, in, 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 in Ghardaya, there is a very alarming situation and the government is not addressing the, the, the problem. In, uh, in about uh, the shale, uh, shale gas protest, the government is not addressing the, 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 the problem. Uh, one week ago, the, 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 the chief command of the sixth, the sixth region, the military region based in Tamaraset, the general, uh, I don't know his name. Huh? Atmani. He went to uh, in Salah and he talked to the, 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 the population. <coughs> it's not the business of the army. The army has nothing to to do with, uh, it's not the, the, the vocation of the army to manage uh, conflicts. There are parties, there, there is administration, the government, but I think that the general Atmani went there because of the absence. But I would say... That area is... Uh, um, that area is I would say... Only through the chair, there is, there is something... Uh, the Algerian political system is very easy to understand, but it is opaque. So we need to know that the military leadership, there are clans, and they don't agree. In Algeria, there is no one leader. There is 50 or 60 leaders, and they don't agree. And probably they don't agree about the shale, uh, shale gas policy. They don't agree about Hardaya. Uh, and we, we, if you ask me, how do you know that? We know that because in the newspaper, it, uh, the, the, sometimes there are articles in newspapers, you feel the, the conflict, the conflict uh, at, the, at, the, at the leadership uh, level. For instance, for instance, when Louisa uh, Hanoun criticizes Bouteflika, it means that 
there is a clan of generals who are not happy with Bouteflika. Or Salim uh, Atlimsani in Watan criticize uh, something. It's, uh, we have codes to read. The, uh, the, the, the. So they don't agree. And you know, there are, there are uh, uh, these clans, they have people in newspapers, they have people in the political field, and they have, uh, uh, when, for instance, when uh, Ammar Saidani, the leader, what a shame, the leader of the FLN, huh? the party of uh, Amirouche and uh, Ali ibn Hidi, led by, uh, by uh, Ammar Saidani. When Ammar Saidani criticizes openly the general Tawfiq Madian two years ago, it was the expression of a conflict between them. So uh, this adds to incoherence of the, poli of the policy. <laughs> the government, the ministers, the government doesn't know on which, uh, which foot he, he, he can dance because the general calls saying that, the other call saying uh, that. And uh, let me tell you that uh, Bouteflika has no authority, no authority. The, 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 the evidence is he speaks, uh, uh, he hardly speaks Tawfiq Madian two years ago. It was the expression of a conflict between them. So uh, this adds to incoherence of the, poli of the policy. <laughs> the government, the ministers, the government doesn't know on which, uh, which foot he, he, he can dance because the general calls saying that, the other call saying uh, that. And uh, let me tell you that uh, Bouteflika has no authority, no authority. The, 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 the evidence is he speaks, uh, he hardly speaks, he works hardly. So the system works without a strong leadership. You, sir, in front row. Yeah, very Identify who you are, please. Yeah, my name is Karim Kara. Um, very simplistic question, really. You said that uh, the wealth of Algeria uh, through the oil business and all that can last or can take the people, the population, for a number of years, and then if the price of the barrel falls down, there will be collapse in the government. What, what, what do you mean by collapse? What is going to happen? If the government collapses, what do you think the prospect of a collapsed government would mean to Algeria and its population as a whole? No, I said in, in the introduction, I said that uh, any political system has uh, its own contradictions, and the ruling elite doesn't want to change the system as long as it has political resources. And in the case you are saying, uh, the resources, the political resources, the financial resources will diminish. I think that there will be 
violent protests and even uh, riots, what could happen? The, the, the political system will change. Will change. And the ruling elite will be obliged to change, to make change. Because change is made... Un- it's, not, it's, not, it's not a rule specific to Algeria. Change is made only under pressure. The change, there was change in 1988. But I would say a half change. In Algeria, we can't criticize the formal power. I think in 20 years, we will criticize the real power and to put the real powers in barracks. Because the aim is to put an end to the involvement of the army in the political field. And I think, but it's personal opinion, I think that, and in this way I'm optimistic, (laughs) that there are many high-ranking officers, young high-ranking officers, who have the culture of an army obeying to a civilian state. The change would be, could, could come from, but it will it will it will it will uh, it will go through riots and unfortunately uh, violence and probably a good thing in the end it would be a good thing it's history it's history but i don't think that in algeria there will be the the, the chaos like uh, like uh, libya because there is no tribe and the history is different. I, I, I want to move you on to one more question before the gentleman there has been waiting patiently. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Amir. I'm studying development economics. And uh, thanks for the talk. Um, regarding the importance of uh, the nature of the political system in developing um, productive capabilities, I want to say that you know, if we look at the historical evidence, most countries that you know, development has not, democracy has been a prerequisite for industrialization and I think it has actually came after industrialization if we look at you know the exponential economic growth of South Korea most of it occurred under the dictatorship of General Park in Europe you know the, the open based democracy in its formal sense just after the second world war and um, so I think there is a space for <coughs> in that case like in um, in talk about the, the laws of the market in you know in research countries I think there's a need for proactive, strong role to say in actually shifting the comparative advantage in the resource sector towards production and um, investing in things like where no one else would invest, like education or infrastructure. And I think Algeria, I think Algeria's problem has been frequently got subsidies. The World Bank estimated that uh, subsidies represented 14% of Algeria's GDP. But the problem is that most of it were made in uh, consumption. Subsidies rather than production, and I think, in my opinion, the you know, prospects for change are will occur when you know we'll subsidize, the state will subsidize production instead of consumption, mm. and in, in that regard, like it's obviously not going to happen anytime. Better come to a question, yes, though. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> especially as we're coming to eight o'clock. So to what extent do you think that you know the nature of the political system 
that the injunction of the regime is inherently against this, the shift towards uh, from consumption to production. And you mentioned a few businessmen, but I think these guys are involved in uh, in production. So, what do you think? <coughs> these guys are, are involved in production. Yeah, industrial production. Uh, beside Rabrab, I don't see who is involved in production because Ali had that. It's uh, just uh, infrastructure works. I have, I have. Three. Huh? Three what? Yeah, but Rab had that, and we had someone else. But 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 Rab Rab has businesses, and uh, he creates uh, he creates a value. The over it's uh, okay. Uh, I think that the the your 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 question is very very uh, interesting. I think that we shouldn't think just about democracy as a, a theoretical model. Because what are seeking for or what are looking for societies regarding the political uh, uh, issue? They are seeking to a better political participation. A political participation. And in that way, <coughs> democracy can, see, can be seen as uh, it could have many stages. In Latin America, we talk about, political scientists talk about Latin America as a semi-democratic semi uh, state. So we should look at the way to create a coherent political system in which the populations have the feeling to be heard. The feeling to be heard. Effectively or fictively. Let's, why, why I was talking about the coherence of the, of the single party system? I am not uh, uh, nostalgic of a single party system. But during the Boumedian era, people used to identify to him. And they were thinking that Thanks to Boumedian, we have someone in the state who is implementing the policy we want. There is someone who is protecting us, defending us. So the, 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 the large sectors of the population had the feeling that they are represented. They are there in the state. After the death of Boumedian, Shadli uh, Benzis was appointed and Shirley Benzies was not charismatic. He didn't have the, the, the charisma. And hence, the political difficulties in Algeria started. So I think that the, the ruling elite should uh, find a way in order to give a feeling to the population to be heard and to be participating to the state. And today, it's not the case. It's not the case, you know. It's a nightmare to deal with the Algerian administration. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare to, 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 to face the everyday life in Algeria. Why? Because the Algerian people, and I am one of them, we feel that we don't have a state. We don't have a state. We have a, a president who is very, very sick and absent, and we have anonymous high-ranking officers 
who are who don't agree, they agree only on the unity of and the interest of the regime. So, I think that there are solutions, and I think that the option of Mulud Hamrush would be a good option. I mean, a transition with the army and gradually to get out from this uh, dual uh, state uh, power. I think that's a very good place to end. Um, um, not as pessimistic as it might yeah, be. Yeah, it is not. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you. Um, thank you all very much for coming. I'm just going to take the time to tell you that the next uh, Middle East Centre Lecture is Tuesday, the 17th of March, when Dr. Jonathan Wurzen will be talking about um, um, political events in the 1920s in the Middle East, and we'll be looking at political revolts of the 1920s, which were curiously, curious forecursors of more recent events in many ways. So come and hear that. That'll be very interesting. Thank you all for coming. Thank you.